Well, hello everybody. Welcome to another podcast on Treknobabble, the greatest Star Trek website ever. <laughs> uh, this is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And today we are going to be presenting a podcast commentary on In the Cards, which is uh, the penultimate episode of Season 5 of Deep Space Nine. Um, it also is the origin of uh, my my router's network name, uh, Soulless Minions of Orthodoxy. I, I assume no one will come to my house and try to spoof me or something. Um, you know, it's a, it's a comedy episode, and Deep Space Nine is not known for them. <laughs> I think it's fair to say, or if it is, it's known for doing sort of terrible Ferengi comedy episodes. Uh, so this one uh, stands out. Yeah, I mean, there there was the James Bond episode, which was pretty good. Yeah, trials and um, tribulations. Uh, trials and tribulations. Lighthearted romp. Uh, the Ferengi episodes are hit or miss. The Ferengi episodes either sing or fall flat on their ass. Like uh, Magnificent Ferengi, I think have uh, I think was good. Um, but well, then, the time travel one was good. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember not liking this one a lot when I first saw it, but I think that's because I, I just didn't get it. I, 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 I like it a lot more now. Maybe it's uh, I had a sort of natural antipathy to the Jake character and um, just didn't it, like preemptively checked out of an episode that was going to focus on him. But th- this this has a lot of lovely moments. I well, have see to say. when when Kelly and I were dating and watching through all of Star Trek, including Deep Space Nine, um, you know, both of us just sort of instantly really liked this episode. Hmm. Uh, so I'm interested. I mean, it's been a while since I've watched it. I'm interested to see what really works because I, I recall it simply working and not only for me, but for Kelly, who, you know, is, I respect her, uh, opinions on things, but she's a different sort of fan uh, than uh, you or me. Um, you know, she's she's more into character stories, so I think she may have responded to you know the Jake Nog stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, why don't we get started? All right. So I'm uh, I'm queued up. I'm queued up as well, and I've got my subtitles turned on, and we can all press play on our various media. Hopefully someday in the future on Blu-ray media. Uh, in three, two, one, press play. So it's an interesting opening. No dialogue. And this is like some party that nobody is having fun at. Which, I, you know, based on dialogue now, I guess uh, the reason no one's having fun is that there is grim news uh, coming from the nascent front. And, you know, it, they're not too specific about it. It's like the Dominion threat. We're losing ships, you know. We lost the Tiananmen. Now, is the Tian- I presume the Tiananmen is supposed to be a starship. It's not a river, so it's not a runabout. Right. Um, if memory serves, and I just watched Redemption, so I know, I believe I'm pretty certain uh, that Tiananmen was one of the ships in Picard's blockade of the uh, Klingon-Romulan border. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That does ring a bell. So th- this is decent set-piece work, because we, we know what's coming, finally. You know, the... The board has been set up for uh, almost the entire season since, or since the middle of the season, when Cardassia joined the Dominion. Given that the Cardassians were the, um, the sort of standing enemy before the introduction of the Dominion, and now joined forces with the Dominion, it's clear this is going to, you know, reach some kind of uh, boiling point at some point. So it's like we we seem to be tilting forward on that, um, yeah. which is good. Uh, well, I, I like I like the general thought of doing atmospheric kind of scenes, yeah. like this. You know, uh, where where general emotional tenor is established, and I like the thought of 
making sure that that's consistent over time because one thing that's kind of bugged me about this season is that it seemed very patchwork you know there have been stretches of really good development of the you know sort of looming plot line and then there's like episodes that clearly were just scripts that were slotted in you yeah. know i mean i also like the 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 build has been good um i i think uh especially if you want to build a war arc you know we divide history into moments for the sake of study to just make it easier to to keep straight in our head but there's as much as we are we may date the start of world war one you know to the invasion of poland but that's not exactly the that's not the only event that happened that meant war was happening or war might be coming like there's a broader build to it so i like that they you're thinking the, of world war Two, Kevin. yes what did i say one. Oh god oh my god it's like the it's hour late. is late and uh <laughs> I'm, I'm getting old and dotty um I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, I was oh, just saying I, I appreciate the um, piecework uh, building there. I also like that uh, events, even something like the loss of a starship, isn't immediately a causes Bella. It doesn't automatically start a war because I think that's also very realistic. It's not like you can look back and say this could have started a war, but that doesn't necessarily mean it must start a war. That kind of like how what is the appropriate response? And the Federation, I don't think I think they've pretty clear they don't want a war if one can be reasonably avoided so they're not going to yeah it's not it's not an expansionist uh imperial you know sort of colonial force right and so they, they don't need uh the main or you know the gulf of tonkin or whatever to justify some sort of thing they don't want the thing right <laughs> so yeah i agree i like that And so, you know, this is a pretty good... Uh, what's nice about this is that, you know, they're, they're dovetailing the two stories well, you know. And granted, it was just a brief setup, and the rest of the episode is mainly going to be about this. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're giving Jake and Nog a good motivation, you know, for for the hijinks that ensue. Yeah. I want to do something for him for a change. And that's a sweet story, you know? And so whether or not you you were into Jake as a character, like this is an easy thing to get behind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we've said before that uh, the strongest moments for uh, Sherlock Lofton are the scenes with his father. So uh, an episode focused on that relationship rather than teenage hijinks or something actually work better. Um, or learning how, to, learning how to write longhand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blah. <laughs> and you know i love i'm always have been and always will be a fan of times when they integrate baseball uh into star trek i don't know why it's such a good marriage but it really is well, it was I, good I in think, evolution it's been good in deep space nine i mean it's just well i, I think know. even nowadays there's a sense of baseball is like the of all the popular american sports it's the oldest it feels the most it feels its age. It, it's the most. kind of the one that intellectuals dig the most. Yeah, and I, I think like it, they're tapping into a current sensation about baseball that it is the like too slow, too like too sedate um, game. It it doesn't have the same. So I I think it that's familiar. Like the conversation they have about baseball and evolution was one two ESPN sportscasters were probably also having about baseball at the time. Um, well. You know, it could really be maybe the Star Trek company, you know, the people who make Star Trek feel that there is criticism of Star Trek, that it is talky and slow and ponderous and, you know, that it's not as whiz bang and action packed, uh, which whether or not that's a valid criticism, it is a criticism that's out there. Right. Yeah. And so maybe there are some writers uh, and producers that feel that there is a commonality there, you know. Baseball is something that you have to let unfold, and so is Star Trek. Uh, I don't know. Well, I remember Michael Piller say, I think it was Piller who said he got into baseball card collecting because of evolution, and uh, hmm. be interesting if uh, that played out here at all. This is a okay. I like this this snippet of dialogue because it 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 do, it, it does kind of acknowledge the unspoken absurdity 
of Federation <laughs> economics without actually explaining them. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it, it, they, what does least... that mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> it means we don't need money. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this does raise a question, and notice I carefully avoided the phrase begging the question, Matthew. I just want that noted. Yes. Uh, of, well, how does the Federation interact with currency-based civilizations? Like, how do you actually interact? Like, how do you buy something that someone else has if they're not also taking part in your, like, freewheeling barter economy? Like, I don't... It doesn't make sense, but it... I the, So the Well, they're hanging a lantern on it, yeah, and it's, so it's funny. it's cute. Yeah. This is a great in-joke for fans, yeah. you know? And it's funny enough that it works for the non-fan, but for a fan, this is, I mean, this is funny stuff. Yeah. Because, like you say, you know, it, they call attention very directly to the fact that the economics of Star Trek make no sense, you know? And I, uh, this is actually... And then they don't try to solve it. Yeah, you know, and this is good. As much as we've criticized the maybe lack of range... Of, of young Sherlock Lofton, that was cute. The the like, uh, like the like. I'm clearly trying to manipulate you, but that doesn't mean it won't work. Tone of voice. Yeah. No, he and Aaron Eisenberg have good chemistry. It, I mean, it, I think it's obvious. That, that was a producers... really good shot of the uh, ship docking while the camera was panning. That was just a well done um, piece of compositing. Yeah, I agree. And Louise Fletcher. Who doesn't love Louise Fletcher? She's just, she's exactly the scale of guest star in the tur- in the in the uh, the way she acts. It's it's just a it's always been a good suit for the tone of Deep Space Nine. The, like the way she just casually dismisses Kira in a way that makes you want to slap her. It's just yeah. She, it, it, whatever your issues with the logistics or internal sense of the ultimate Ducat plot with her, the two of them in a room together sing. In terms of well, I mean, they're they're practically the same character as far as being the character you love to hate. Yeah, you know, you enjoy disliking. Right, and they both fill the room in that in just that same way. That's like slightly larger than life, but not so big that it lapses into into like silliness. It's just it's it's lovely. There's a great interview with Louise Fletcher on the DVDs where she said she 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 kept suggesting to one of the producers that. Her, her character could have a child like throwing rose petals in front of her as she walked but they wouldn't go for it <laughs> I, I like these two guys trailing her I believe they it's kind of reminiscent of uh, Return of the Jedi yeah. the Emperor's yeah. sort of flunkies <laughs> and so we're uh, you know getting <laughs> the story structure is interesting in that they focus on Jake and Nog but they do develop enough yeah of this i mean i suppose this is really the b story not the a story i I find this uh, exchange interesting and i wonder if it's just that they couldn't get you know duncan rhaegar back it it seems odd that the kai would be the one negotiating the treaty with the dominion uh i know they've kind of been obviously the religious structure of bedra would give uh uh the religious hierarchy some greater say in the government than you know say earth or something but um I, it just seems but they still seem to have a clear division yeah it know? seems odd that she would be the point person on this that being said th- this is a good example of uh, 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 and I'll discuss this more when we get to get to it in the next episode but the non-aggression pact and the like the deals you have to make to stay like the, it, it's really good layered complicated political storytelling uh, that Ron Moore is obviously very good at to have that kind of question it's not enough to be awesome and be the Federation's friend and everything will be fine. That's a real problem. That's a real question um, that the characters have to face. So I think that's, you know, it's just good writing. A lot of makeup on display in this scene. Um, yeah. Lots of Westmore heads. And this is kind of funny too. You know, Shimmerman is doing a good job of, you know, like dealing with an unenthusiastic auction group. Prop people did their homework. Uh, It's a lot of of good knickknacks. I have to believe that an artifact, like a piece of art that would be 400 years old at this point would be more valuable than um, 
that would put it out of the price. I'm saying if there were like a mint condition, I don't know, like print of some artist from the 1600s, that would, even if it were an unfamous artist, would probably be worth a pretty penny. Well, I mean, have we ever really tried to work out some sort of exchange rate for bars and slips and strips? I mean, when they talk about bars, it does seem like... I mean, what's what's Rom's fortune, for instance? You know, isn't it like a hundred bars or something? Yeah, where, yeah, it seems they don't introduce. So it's, it's like a bar seems like a, at least a thousand right, bucks worth, right? Where it's like it's slips, strips, bars, and then eventually, I think they reference bricks at some point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it does seem a little little fuzzy, but meh. I mean, it, again, the the economy of this of the of the Star Trek world is not terribly well explained. Acrylic on black velvet. <laughs> uh, now that's a little too far. The head inspirate image was the inspiration for the flag of a Martian colony. Come on. Well, I mean, it doesn't bother it, me that much. Quartz a huckster. That's what he does. Um, well, maybe he's lying. Yeah, you're right. You know, it, this is a – it's a feeling that I can empathize with mm-hmm. quite a bit, you know, trying to buy something for your dad. It is difficult, you know, for a kid yeah. to buy something for, for a parent because your whole life your parents seem to have everything they want or buy any, everything they want, you know, like they're the ones with the financial power in the family. Uh, and so – if they have the funds, they spend them on things they want already, you know? So what do you get for them? Um, you know, I remember I bought a Green Lantern comic book for my dad, you know, like a, a 1960s one, one that he would have read when he was a kid. And it's like, I think he appreciated it, but I don't think it meant as much to him as it meant to me trying to find it. Yeah. You know? And so, I don't know. I appreciate the the sort of emotional uh, backdrop of this story, and so we have this guy who's been uh, had his face eaten off, right, by the the Vidians. Yeah, and he was the um, poor guy who walked off the holodeck and homeward, which I, I just watched. I was rewatching some season seven while doing my laundry today. Ah, yes, that's true. He's a a character actor who's had some good stuff in Star Trek. Let's see. His name is Brian Markinson. Oh, Jeffrey Combs. It's never a bad day when Jeffrey Combs is in your life. Yeah. You know, this... I, th- I feel like this episode is where we really get you know, sort of like full bore Wayun, you know, like funny, smarmy, uh, but also devious. Yeah, because we, we got a little snippet of it in Ties of Blood and Water, but not like he wasn't the centerpiece of the episode really in any way. I really like Deep Space Nine, <laughs> and I like you. I would really love to see Wayun in in Blu-ray. Like just looking at the outfit as it stands in standard definition, there's so much detail going on there. They named him well, Doctor Geiger. He sounds like a like a science fiction villain from a like '50s comic whose superpower yeah. is radiation or something. Like, <laughs> well, and just in case anyone doesn't know, of course, H.R. Geiger was the concept artist for Alien. Oh, that's right. And I suppose is is the the new guy, is that his name Geiger? Uh Game of Thrones guy? No. I uh, do you mean the author or the oh, the author, yeah. No, it's, that's George R. R. Martin. Oh, yeah, whatever. H.R. Geiger, R.R. Martin, same difference. Okay, 
so here's one of those sets that's you know it, there's like so much stuff that it's funny yeah that part kind of like in in the tng episode with the the, the kesprit yeah <laughs> that part is charmingly ridiculous yeah and there's the phrase the solace morning minions of orthodoxy <laughs> I would have loved to have sat in on the like pitch meeting or maybe the, the first run like through the of the script read, yeah. where you know the authors you know go to bat for that line. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say I like the kind of mishmash of console styles, because that's clearly like a previously used Bajoran or Cardassian panel, but the paneling is something out of like the uh, TOS movies. Mm-hmm. You know, Markinson is really good. You know, it's it's like he he's really believable yeah, as sort yeah, of a socially awkward scientist with a you know really intense desire for something. Yeah, he definitely throws himself in into the part. He's always fit in all the roles in the Star Trek he's been in. Yeah. you know, we've yeah. talked about it a lot. You know, fitting with the universe, like he. You never think that he doesn't know what he means yeah. when he says yeah. something. So we're getting some notions about funerary customs in the 24th century. I guess cremation now is being ionized. Yeah, when my Sally, time comes, just uh, <laughs> put me in the big sunglasses case, uh, launch me into space, hire a guy to play Amazing Grace in the bagpipes, and we'll we'll call it a day. Yeah. Aaron Eisenberg's face there <laughs> is really good. <laughs> well, there's something like it, 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 like it has this patina of internal credibility, but is obviously ridiculous, and yeah. Cellular ennui. I'm trying to read the detail on that okudogram, and I they, they won't hold the camera there long enough for me to make it out. Oh, yeah, but it just looks like a one of the lucite overlays from a you know TNG. You know, whenever whenever they do that era. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't think they created a new... No, no. It this, just looks like a, star, a I starship. Believe that, yeah, I believe they got all of this out of storage. Except maybe the pod, obviously. That was probably a a new one. <laughs> the cellular entertainment chamber. <laughs> you know, his delivery is so good. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Maybe this was the part of the story that fell flat for me when I was younger and just not paying attention properly, where it's like, I didn't appreciate the craft going on here. So this, maybe the story, maybe I just dismissed the story as being too ridiculous um, as opposed to enjoyably ridiculous. No, this, this is great comedy. Yeah. Uh, there, there's there's an irony to it you know and, and in this case the irony is sort of inverted it's not that the audience knows more than the characters know it's that the audience feels the same way as the characters you know <laughs> that was a good eyebrow raise by yeah. Sherrick Lofton I'm no expert in cellular chemistry, but his theory sounds a little odd. And so, you know, I think I think it was this scene that sold me on the episode. I mean, the, the overall emotional story is good, and the, the background political stuff is good, 
but this particular scene is what really you know it's it's kind of hilarious this is a Ron Moore uh, teleplay off of someone else's story uh, it's directed by Michael Dorn And so it's nice to see Ron Moore get a chance to uh, stretch his comedic muscles. Um, I mean, clearly he's at work with the political, you know, yeah. machinations in the background. But that scene was really excellent. So what is Chief O'Brien working on here? I believe they haven't those, yet done the whole mind thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I right? believe those are the props that may eventually become the mines. Otherwise, I think I, su I assume they're just nondescript storage containers or something. Or what yeah. do they say what they are? Because he's like calibrating them or something, right? No, I feel like he's just... Uh, doing inventory? Doing an inventory. I gotta say, I like this. I like the elements in this episode for Nog, and it really comes. It it they really do it in uh, treachery, faith in the Great River, uh, when Nog is like horse trading for the parts they need for the Defiant. I like the elements where his his Ferengi culture and his Ferengi approach is enhanced by the confidence given to him by his Starfleet training. So it's like, he, he allegedly went into Starfleet because he didn't think he could be a good Ferengi, but it turns out that actually helped him be a better Ferengi, and I, I kind of like the the message in that. So he, he didn't lose himself in his Starfleet training, he just learned how to better utilize the skill set his culture values. Like, because you can yeah, see... You could see Quark... This is, the, this is the way to do Ferengi. Right. You know? And, and, and they've done it well with Quark too, right? But, but you, know. you could easily see Quark making this kind of six-level nested moving deal to get what he wants a little bit down the road. That kind of like, uh, like it's very bartendery what he just did. Like the "What do you really want? How can I really get that for you?" That kind of stuff, and and it shows he knows how to read people, which is like really what. I think, like, yeah, that's where the Ferengi shine. It's like, it, well, it seems realistic. Yeah, you know? like you would. So never... many times, Ferengi, it's like, who would ever do business with these assholes? Right. You know, but when you see a scene like that, you're like, oh yeah, I mean, these people are, they're good salespeople. Right. Like, even you know? if you knew you were being manipulated, you'd kind of still end up going along with it, which is like the you know the work of a master. Well, because they actually improve your situation. Yeah. You know. Speaking of my dad, uh, you know, my dad was in sales for decades. And, you know, not that I talked long and hard about sales with him, but, you know, one thing he impressed upon me with sales was that you're entering into a relationship with your customer and you both want to benefit from it. And that's the mark of a good sale is that both people actually feel and, you know, justifiably feel that they've benefited from the transaction because then you, you have a repeat customer. Right. You know? And so that scene really does, you know, I mean, they're really offering Chief O'Brien. They're not tricking him. They're not lying to him. Right. They're, right. Know, they're not stealing from him. You know, it, I don't know. It works for me. It's a, it's a nice little continuity thread because he has discussed the bear before. And as someone who, uh, still owns his teddy bear. It is it is currently sitting in a box in my apartment. Um, but uh, no, I I appreciate the the little storytelling touch there. Well, and of course they're calling back to his aborted relationship with Lita. I wonder if Chase Masterson gets any lines in this episode. The, the comedy was good here too like it was ridiculous but I, you know I hate to say it but I do prefer scenes where Chase Masterson doesn't talk so and it's funny that Nog is going through these you know 
person-sized ducts that seem designed purely to let people steal things from each other. Um, yeah, so that that's funny too. So far, every scene has been a hit. You know, there have been no misses yet. And so, yeah, I mean, th this is great stuff. A non-aggression yeah. treaty. I mean, speaking of World War II, you know, it's like the Ribbentrop Pact. You know, right. it's like Germany is trying to maneuver Russia out of the war, you know, by promising something. Can you really trust them? No, of course not. But do you understand why Russia slash Bajor would sign such an agreement? Yes, you do, you know, because they're afraid and they, you know, want to buy time. It would be really interesting, I think, to talk to Ron Moore uh, about politics. And maybe not, I mean, probably generally about yeah. politics, but also how politics and history informed his writing. writing. Yeah. It, because it seems clear that he's not directly aping historical situations, yeah. but he's using some of the dynamics in really interesting yeah, uh, ways. I just, uh, I've, I've meant, I know I've mentioned it a few times before, but I just, I finished re listening. Uh, to the entire you know 200 episode stretch of history of rome podcast and it's an awesome one and i highly recommend it um but i can see like there are certain patterns that repeat themselves certain facets of human behavior that you can see being played out again and again so i, I enjoy yeah I, when a lot of writers write politically it tends to be from a agenda point of view where it's like there's a version there's like a point they want to make uh, I feel that less, far less frequently with Ron Moore, where it's like it's not like I'm here to tell a parable that says this person was good or this person was bad. It's just synthesizing credible dynamics to give the characters actual motivations. Yeah, he tells stories that are about forces, you know, yeah, social forces, political forces uh, that get people caught up in them. You know, very rarely do his stories revolve around. The, the grand villain right right and the dialogue that he's giving to kai win here you know i want to save bajor and i believe her yeah you know? yeah i want to save bajor and benefit from it yes i want to save bajor and be in charge yes but she does actually want to save right, bajor right and uh, we, we were talking when she said the line earlier when they entered when she just got to the station i think i was like cisco said something about it being complicated politically she just she says i do have some experience in this area and i, I, did, I just love that <laughs> line and so this is a very talky scene but it works yeah well there's there's some real tension here, and I, I love the look on Avery Brooks' face because I bet you neither the actor nor the character loves that little bit of Bajoran uh, religious uh, action. Um, but uh, it, it it feels like there's a sense of consequence because you know you're right. Both characters clearly care about Bajor, but have other things that interfere. Like when when calls him out, would you protect Bajor at the cost of another Federation world? And he can't honestly tell her yes. So there's. The desire to life is made up of conflicting interests. Like, you know, if, if only a child sees good and evil as you know, two either or choices. It's not. It's not picking the good choice over the bad choice. It's picking which of the good choices, when you can only pick one of them, best achieves your goals. That's hard, and both characters are doing that there. So that actually has drama with no shouting or explosions. Could you actually sleep in that thing? I think it would be so claustrophobic as to cause its own set of problems. I think it depends on uh, the the comfort level, you know, because sensory deprivation That's can true. be kind of like that. I mean, some sensory deprivation chambers are just like shower stalls, yeah. so they're not as constrained, but some of them are, you know, relatively small. Uh, it's something I've been meaning to do. I've read a lot about it, and... Uh, you know, I kind of want to have that sort of psychedelic journey. Yeah. Um, and this is funny. Yeah. What's going on down there? It, I, I do kind of, you know, do Jem'Hadar really scan stuff like that? But maybe they do. I mean, they, they, they function at the whim of founders and Vordos, so... 
I mean, it's a little coincidental that they got the quarters right above this guy, but we can let that go. No, that, hey, these things happen. This is pretty funny too. This, who who doesn't love shouting over uh, opera records? <laughs> Listen, precisely eighty-two decibels. That would hurt. I mean, human ears at least. It's pretty loud. Yeah, let's have a look at that. And this this joke is so awful. It's like a dad joke where it's just like, oh, uh, like it's the kind of joke your dad makes that makes you like roll your eyes and like cringe with your whole body in embarrassment. <laughs> it's su- it's like they crafted the perfect bad joke. Yeah. Turns out eighty decibels is the the loudness of a dial tone. Really. Which is kind of loud if you just sit there listening to yeah, a dial tone. Yeah. That would be uncomfortable. So the music is telling us that the plot is thickening here. And we're at 33 minutes. Uh, I feel like there's been a good, nice comedic build, but also a, a good build generally. Yeah. <laughs> 80 decibels is also normal piano practice. Ah, I practice piano a lot. I should be on the lookout for that. 85 is the upper exposure action value, and... 80 is the lower exposure action value. So I, I think that's one of those, if you do it for like two hours, 80 is too much. Hmm. I suppose the one thing that doesn't make sense is why wouldn't there be a record of him? Did like, I mean, we know ultimately where he ended up. Did the Jem Hadar like alter the station records for some reason? Like, why wasn't there a record of this guy being on the station? Yeah, I mean, with all the stuff that he brought in, you'd think there would be all kinds of records. Like, he would need help to transport the stuff. You would think there would be safety, you know, sort of concerns because yeah. he's using quarters on the station, and so someone like Odo would be all up in that shit you know it's like you know what are you doing with this stuff you know is it dangerous you know. <laughs> this is the best nog episode so far i'm trying to think Best so far. I'm 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 quickly scanning my memory. There's a better one coming up. Lions, Geigers, Bears. <laughs> Again, oh my. that's like it's it's like the joke is so bad. You just have to like stand there and let it happen. Like you can't stop it. It's just coming. And I don't mind it. I, like I've been so sufficiently entertained to this point that I I feel good about that joke. I'm not going to laugh at it, but yeah. it, it makes me smirk. Uh, these are another two actors that, I, I mean, I understand why it would be forced writing to try to have them have lots of scenes together, but they're both so good. They're smiling in exactly the same way. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's genius. Well, it's like the micro expression. No, we're nothing alike. <laughs> <laughs> I I really want Michael Westmore to like put out a line of like high end versions of the prosthetics for Halloween costume purposes because I think I would make an awesome Vorta. <laughs> I 
also, also, 80 decibels is also an alarm clock. Okay, that that that. Okay, yeah, that's loud. You wouldn't want to listen to that that high for a while. Yeah, and so, and so Jake is sort of adding tension. You know, it's good comedy setup yeah. to have the person who's trying to do the nice thing right, right. lie in such a way as to, you know, earn the enmity of that person, you know, only to have, you know, it's like, yeah. sort of dramatic reversal. And uh, what was I going to say? Uh, of all the places Avery Brooks' natu- instincts serve him best, when Cisco is justifiably angry tends to you know work the best like he'd be, like yeah he's pissed and he that read well yeah because there's a t- obviously a tense political situation going on and he needs her support and so this looks like a redress of the hollow suite set yeah i do love that battleship design that is just a lovely piece of work yeah very cool it's reminiscent of some of the Cylon stuff, and I mean like the original Cylon yeah. stuff. And so, I mean the the comedic hijinks. You know, having Wayun with his whole personality. Uh, kind of try to like uncover in a serious way what's going on it's funny stuff I know who your father is I always like the um, color scheme for Dominion work like the the, like green Green and pink accents yeah I I think it works especially like because it's it's it would be too much. It would be like Ferengi levels if it was everywhere, but it's just like the spotlight accent stuff I think I think really works. Oh, polaric energy. And so the punchline is that, you know, Geiger, that's, that's why the Solus Means Orthodoxy line works so much. It's like, you know, his paranoid delusions are confirmed by the ridiculous sort of development that's going on here. interesting sort of urn or cat you know case yeah it looks nice it's well done okay i i'm I'm waiting for them to get to the punchline of this joke so i can discuss what i feel about it um but i i do like jake's off the cuff lie here it's not it's it's not bad It, it, it made me chuckle (laughs) we're investigating the man I mean his story is kind of ridiculous on its face because how would they know if there was some sort of temporal incursion. If, if there were any changes, we'd be the first to know. I hate when they say that.
Tracking down William Hayes and stuff, you know. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> you do? Jeffrey Combs' eye movements there yeah. are really good. Yeah. And I, I, I like that they didn't take the joke farther than the joke would sustain itself. Like, Wayun, I'm pretty it's sure... It's too intelligent to fall for something. Right, yeah. yeah. Like, it would... It is the... Especially once he has the baseball card in his hand, has to know what was really going on. And I like how Geiger starts... His sales the pitch. pitch. Yeah in exactly the same way so it's like something he's rehearsed or have been called upon to do over and over so yeah like we've reached the 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 resolution and yeah it's a character piece it's uh it's silly it's sweet um and and that being said it makes sense like all the the little stuff that everyone got help with actually fits in character. I suppose the the thinnest piece would be um, uh, Kira's having a speech written for, but I mean that's not off the wall. She has to do bureaucratic stuff and doesn't like doing it. Um, but everything else like was of a piece. Worf likes opera. O'Brien wants time to go kayaking without ripping his shoulder off. You know, yeah, like it all it all does fit. I do have questions about just what subharmonic distortion is in a recording that would exist in 24th century. Yeah, you figure anyway. you have to have perfected lossless uh, data transfers, but hey. No, I, I agree. Um, and I especially agree on what you said about the punchline. It, it would have been going too far if Wayun had believed the, the phony story right or or continue to believe there was something else nefarious going on I mean it wouldn't have sunk the episode but it works better this way it's yeah. funnier to have way you yes. be that smart yeah. and to you know be messing with them until he reveals that he knows that they were actually telling the truth in the first place yeah um, and so yeah nice moment with Jake and his dad uh <sighs> This is a really good episode. Uh, in fact, I I kind of love this episode. I really like this episode. Uh, I like all. I, I certainly like it much better uh, on subsequent viewing than I did when I first saw it. Um, but yeah, uh, let's let's break it down. We like the writing. The setup is cute. The comedy works. The resolution is on it. Like the, the goal was to. It, it's kind of like a. Uh, several seasons do this where the penultimate episode or like at least close to the season finale there's like a little lightweight episode just to kind of cleanse the palate a little before diving into the whatnot of uh other of the finale and it totally works as that is like a because if you look at what's uh come before it you get uh what what else was up here Um, but yeah, some pulling up a list of the seasons. So yeah, Empok Nor, Blaze of Glory. Like there's some heavier episodes before this. So yeah, I think it kind of fits as like a nice little catching of the breath before we dive into really ramping up the Dominion War arc. Um, yeah. We spent most of the episode discussing the quality of writing, and even the like the political stuff worked great. And I, I enjoy when the writers can do that when you can give me an episode about topic A, but make it fit in to the broader story without having it to have to be about that story. So that that did work. Um, no, I, I think they did a really nice job of dropping in Dominion arc stuff and. You know, it, 
it's telling that in the memory alpha page they call this dominion Ep- invasion episode one of eight you know yeah it's uh you know like there are enough people that view this as a piece with the rest of the dominion story um but it doesn't bog itself down with it you know yeah it's uh it's got a really light touch and that touch keeps it interesting um i think the comedy writing is terrific uh i think the political writing you know is a a preview perhaps of you know what ron moore is capable of i mean not that he hasn't done good political stuff before but the the level of sort of awareness of overall forces, you know, is really good. You know, the, the character dynamics in the serious story are very good. You, you mentioned, you know, Kai Wynn and Cisco. Um, you know, it's calling back to previous stuff they've done, you know, previous relationship ground that they've uh, trodden. But, you know, it, it advances it and it's not just like pointless continuity dropping. Um, you know, I, to me, is it a great science fiction story? No, but there are certainly science fiction elements to it. Uh, I mean, they may be comedic, of course, but I have a hard time saying it's not a five. Uh, writing-wise. It's at least a four or a five. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't have a problem saying that. Uh, The acting's good. Um, It's certainly some of the best work we've seen out of uh, Lofton and Eisenberg. It's very natural. Everything felt very light and organic. Nothing felt overwrought um, by anyone. Um, Yeah, the party scene worked. Uh, All the Cisco and Sun scenes work like always. Uh, Maybe mo- the rest of the crew didn't really get much to do. I, the Wayun win stuff was great. Yeah. No, I, I, every guest actor here was excellent. Um, I really like Brian Markinson. His delivery is key to sort of... If he's too stupid or too lame, you know, you kind of aren't on board with what the main characters are doing but he's funny but also compelling enough and he fits enough yeah that it's not uh completely unbelievable that someone might go along a little bit um i i agree you know or you know i i would say there there are no like transcendently good performances there's no you know uh, there are four Patrick lines, Stewart yeah. <laughs> in in Chain of Command, or you know, or Inner Light kind of stuff, or or even um, the Visitor, yeah, you know, with Tony Todd and uh, Avery Brooks, but it's all really solid. So I think it's at least a four, yeah, you know, because they're quite funny, yeah. Um, in terms of production values, there were some awesome, like a couple of just really well done uh, panning shots of the station. They really got good at having the camera move and the objects move relative to each other in a really cohesive three-dimensional way in a few of the like docking shots that just looked really well done. Um, beyond that, it's a bit of a bottle show. The prop work was good. There was a lot of, it looked like a crazy scientist lab, which it was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like production values. There were there were a lot of uh, aliens. Yeah. The the props as far as the, the auction stuff, you know, they were all pretty good. Um, you know, it, it was nothing mind blowing, but yeah. uh, I'd say it's at least a three or a four, probably a four. You know, it's above average. Yeah. Um. So. In the balance, um, I'm going to go with a four. I, I think it's a good episode. It is a charming episode. Uh, all the parts work. I don't think it's quite transcendental in its ambition. And, and you know, it's fine. It doesn't have to be. It, all, it would almost be a worse episode if it were reaching too far for something else. Like, it was a 
lighthearted comic romp in anticipation of a much darker turn for the show and for what they needed to do they did it very well I understand what you're saying and I agree with it to some extent but for me I think I, I'm going to go with a five. Uh, maybe this is a knee-jerk reaction. Maybe this is a, you know, it's like this episode is such a breath of fresh air. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've been really frustrated with season five. Uh, like, I kind of want them to shit or get off the pot as far as the Dominion story goes. And they've been teasing it for so long that the political elements of this really please me. Uh, but then also, you know, the comedy... This comedy is, I think, at the level of, say, Captain's Holiday, uh, or maybe even something like Trouble with Tribbles. You know, like Trouble with Tribbles is a good comparison, actually. You know, it's it's um, it's got a political story. You know, there's there's this sort of Cold War tension between the two, you know, antagonistic forces, and that story is advanced by the plot. But then also the individual comic scenes work really well. Um, and so this episode, the comedy might not be quite as good as Trouble with Tribbles, but the politics is better. better. Okay, so, I see that argument. You know, I, to me, it's, it's on, on a level with Trouble with Tribbles. And maybe it's a low five if there is such a thing, but to me, it, it's uh, this is an episode that I would watch multiple times you know without batting an eyelash um and there haven't been a ton of episodes lately in deep space nine that i would say that about um so you know whatever whether it's knee jerk or not you know I, i'm at a five on this i think it's in the top 10 percent okay um really really enjoyable which you know i think the nine overall i yeah, yeah. i agree I agree with the substance of your, your your general take on the quality of the show, you know? Yeah. But it, it just really works for me, so. Okay. Uh, you know, I think nine captures that sort of very slightly divided verdict pretty well. Okay, that's a nine for uh, in the cards. Uh, we are... Uh, approaching the airport for a landing on season five uh, was, uh, so we'll have some uh, commentary on the season finale and uh, some wrap-up comments for uh, I, I think we can safely say whatever the uh, whatever feelings good or bad you end up with about the season this is certainly the best season I think Deep Space Nine has had so far would that be safe to say in terms of raw quality of yeah. absolute consistency yeah I think so um, you know, it seems like my ratings have been like consistently one point below yours for yeah. the most part. Yeah. But I still think my total is going to be, you know, above average. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yes. I I do think this has been, on the whole, in the balance, the best season so far. Uh, and I don't think it's because of the uniforms. You know. <laughs> I think it's because they've sort of figured out what the hell they're doing with themselves. Yeah, you know, totally. They're not sort of keening between you know various poles of storytelling. Like in prior seasons, they would do like they would focus on Bajor for a while, and then they would you know just like wildly swing over to some TNG retread sci-fi story, and then they would wildly swing to you know Cardassian stuff, and it they just it just never seemed to have a, a direction. And whatever you want to say about Voyager, there was always the overall thread of these people are isolated, okay? And so they, they would do, you know, TNG-style sci-fi stories, but they would always have the isolation as an element of the story. And Deep Space Nine hasn't had that yet. But now with this episode, and even with this season, there's this sort of dread you know this this looming terror uh, and it's not like they're all going crazy or something but there's just this 
this looming threat. And is that like fun? No, <laughs> but it's at least interesting, you know? And I feel like they found a hook. They found an interesting hook with the Dominion and that they're finally paying it off. I mean, God, how long have they been telling telling us that the Dominion are coming, right? Since season two, yeah? Yeah. It's finally, you know, finally. Uh, so, yes, I do think this is the best season so far. I think it's going to be roundly eclipsed by seasons six and seven. Um, you know, pretty much start to finish. Uh, you know, anyway, we can save some of this for next time. All right. Uh, so yeah, a nine for in the cards and we will see you, uh, for the season finale in, uh, hopefully a few days. Yep. Live long and prosper. Have a good night.